Youth Fluential in the YouTube search, and then go to our channel, and then hit the subscribe button. And if you could do that, if everybody here who knows how to do that could do that, what that will do is that will take our channel, which is called Youthfluential, and it will exponentially increase the channel to be available for other people to see. So it's like YouTube says, for every person that subscribes to your channel, they'll take my channel and give it to another person. So they present your channel to people. And for us to reach the gospel, all you have to do is subscribe. You never have to go and look at it and watch me or anything. Just hit subscribe. YouTube will say, that's good. We're going to give your channel to another person. And that's, that's called free advertisement. And that's what we want. We want to advertise the gospel. And if you want to be involved with advertising the gospel, subscribe to our channel and it will be advertised to the world. So, big help. And uh, I'm expecting some big subscriber notices today. <laughs> so, all right. Well, I like to look at a passage today in Mark chapter 5. And for me, the Gospels are some of the clearest ideas that anybody, one, could have in understanding what missions and evangelism and preaching and ministering the Gospel to others is all about. And so, you have 66 books of the Bible, and you have four the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and these Gospels gives us the ways and the methods and the ideas, concepts, precepts, principles of evangelism and Gospel going forth and missions. And who better than looking to the Lord Jesus to understand about this big vision, this world mission of taking the Gospel to the world. That's a big mission. And uh, that, that's, a, that's something we are all should be and can be part of. No matter who you are. You don't have to be a seminary student, a pastor, a missionary, an evangelist, or some kind of special person, you know, in the sense of the ministry. It could be anybody can be involved and all should be involved in giving the, the mission of getting the gospel out to the world. Okay, this is not reserved just for, you know, quote, special people in the ministry because, you know, there's nothing really special about anybody just because they have a position of office in the church. They're just, everybody is the same. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. And we're all sinners in need of a Savior. And so, you know, we just use those words to understand the classification of how we work in our ministry. So let's read the passage in Mark chapter 5, looking at verses 1 through 20. I'd like to read this story with all of us together. Verse 1, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he, he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him, 
out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, verse 3, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him, verse 5. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swan feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. Verse 14. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. This is a powerful passage of the Gospels. And so, when I think of sending a missionary, think of missions, missionary, I think of our mission field and how we're going to reach it, what we're going to do to reach it, why we're going to reach it, where are we going to reach it, What are we going to be doing? How, what, where, when are we going to be doing it? And I think you can find the answer to all those questions about missions in this passage. So, we're going to dive into that in the little bit of time we have here. And the bottom line is verse 19 So let's get to the bottom line first, so then we can apply all the other ideas on how we get to the bottom line. Just in case we don't have enough time to get to the bottom line, let's get to the bottom line. Verse 19, How be it Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, 
Go home to thy friends. To what? Go. Where? Home. Who? Friends. When are you going to do that? Now. How's it going to be done? Tell. Go home. Friends, tell. We got, we got those how, when, why, where covered right there. We got missions in one sentence. Completely fulfilled. Tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. Okay. So what is the goal here? This demonic, maniac man who has been delivered from this great deficiency in his life is now charged and commissioned to go and be a representation of the good news of Jesus' love to this area of the Gadarenes. And he has a mission on how to do it, verse 20. And he departed and began to publish. So this guy was involved with the methods of having his message recorded to give to others. Which is interesting. What could be the background of why it got published? I think... Here is a demon-possessed, maniac man. That's what everybody knew him as. A rough unit. That's how we call it in Philly. That's a rough unit right there. And he's coming to a town to get people's attention Tell them something that will change their life. You know, up here, we're looking at him and thinking, no way. I'm glad for him that he's changed, but, you know, just take a look at him. So he wrote it down so people could read it and marvel. Then they could hear his message as they thought about it. Maybe there was some kind of physical... Uh, impediment that stopped him from being able to communicate it. From all the physical damage he did to himself, being possessed with all those demons. Maybe he had problems with his mouth and his face and his arms, because it says he cut himself night and day with stones. He's smacking himself in the head. The demons were torturing him. They wanted to kill him. And so, his message was, he published it. Now, let's take a look at a couple things. You think about missions. Let's think about this. The characteristics of what it's like reaching the lost. You, you, when you think about characteristics of reaching the lost, you've got to think about their environment. So, Jesus shows us this picture. Jesus was the master in showing us about going to a characteristics of an environment that is dangerous. So in verse 1, And they came over onto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. So we got this sea. And on one side of the sea is the nation of Israel and the capital of Jerusalem. 
and then crosses over the sea, comes to the outside boundaries of Israel. So we have the outside border nation outside of Israel. So Jesus' commission is go to the children of Israel. God commissioned Christ, the Messiah, to take the good news and the light of the world to the Jews first. So Jesus is now leaving the Jewish territory and going into a territory that's next door to it. Today we look at that as the nation of Jordan. But back then it was a dead area that had small cities around it. And actually, it was property belonging to the former, oh, here we are, we're approximately 30 A.D., so 100 years ago, it was a dead property, and 200 years ago, it was probably influenced by the Greeks, who were influenced by the Phoenicians, who were influenced by the Chaldeans and the Babylonians. So these 10 cities called the Decapolis, are former old territories of the Babylonian Empire. And so the Babylonian had its proper empire, and this is on the outskirts of the proper empire, and then crossing the sea, you're in Israel. So who lives in this Babylonian Empire? Mostly people who are not Jewish. But because it's so close to Israel, there will be Jews there, as they established their homes and families of over the last centuries. And so we have these cities that are mixed with, you know, the Middle Eastern people and the Jewish people. And so there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of hatred toward the Jews there. They didn't have the nation of protection of all, all the nation being Jewish. And so, even today, we hear and see about problems in the outskirts cities around Israel. And so, this was a problem area. Jesus was commissioned to go to the Jews first. But that doesn't mean he didn't love the Gentiles. He wanted to go to the environment of where the Gentiles was also. And he made two more trips one in Matthew and one in Luke, talking about, uh, and, and another one in Mark, about how he went to the Decapolis to preach the good news. But here, this is probably his first journey into this land that's not in the Israel territory, and he's given the gospel to these people. He gives the gospel to one. And this one is going to take that message and publish it, and people are going to see it. And when Jesus comes back a second time, their hearts are going to be prepared. It's kind of like John the Baptist going and preparing the way before Jesus came. This now new commissioned missionary evangelist is going to go and prepare the way. So that's one of the reasons why Jesus is coming to just one. Now we have to understand what is this area in verse 1. The other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. 
So in my minimum study, there are these small communities going down toward the sea. And when you go down toward the sea, the communities are up a little higher elevation-wise, above sea level, and in the mountains. So if you went to the sea there, Galilee, and looked over, you would see mountains, you would see different ravines coming down toward the sea. And then those ravines are full of dead territory. And so people would take their dead and bury them there in these ravines that were turned into small caves. And these small caves along this sea is where they would bury their dead. It wasn't a profitable area. It was a rough terrain. That's where they would go and take their dead and bury them. And so it was, a, it was a cemetery. It was a dead area. It was full of caves. And it was, there was a big downhill run into the sea. And so verse 2, And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him of the tombs. So that's where these tombs were at. A man with the unclean spirit. So this guy lived there. So why did he live there? Verse 3, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. So this guy was possessed with these demons. He was living in the town, backstory, contextually. And the people were trying to think, hey, we've got to do something with this guy. He's crazy. And maybe whatever secular ways they have. Back then they didn't have, you know, shock therapy like we may have used in the past in our country. They just put them in chains and locked them up. Throw them in a cage. Say, hopefully you'll get better someday. And they just left them there. But in verse 4, because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. So this was that rough unit. This was a very large individual. But even if he wasn't large, these many demons used their, quote, supernatural strength in this body to break these chains. And so this guy's breaking the chains. They're putting them in the cage. They're locking them up. They're like, we've got to get rid of them. So they take them to the tomb. They say, you live here. And everybody's fine with that. As long as he's in the tombs and he's in the caves and that's where he lives, nobody has a problem with that. They're like, he's out of our hair. Isn't that what we do with the society today? They're like, oh, yeah, they're in, the, they're in the ghetto or they're in the psych ward or they're in the prison. Nobody cares. We got them all locked up or we got them in a pitiful situation. They're not bothering me. Nobody cares. This is the characteristics of the environment of where we take missions to. And Jesus is going there. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. So, real quick, first five ideas of the characteristics. A desolate environment, a decaying environment, an environment of despair, an environment of despondency, and an environment of the people were derelict in their duties of taking care of a human being in their town. So this verse in, in verse 6, But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. So this person discerned 
righteousness. And so notice in verse 7, And he cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. This person discerned righteousness. And he bowed down. In other words, he was submissive to this authority. And he understood that there was light. He understood that there was peace. He understood there was righteousness. And he submitted himself to it. In verse 6, he saw Jesus afar off. He ran and worshipped him. He bowed down to him. And so notice in verse 7 some interesting things. First of all, the demon said to him, What have I to do with thee? So the demon says, look, why are you meeting with me? We're not supposed to be talking. We're arch enemies. They're like, what are you doing coming to me? Here's the son of the most high God, supreme deity, the Messiah, the Savior. And the demon, this lowly demon is like, why are you messing with me? And the reason why the demon said, why are you messing with me, is because the demon knows the facts. The facts are, the demon's living on borrowed time and is on his way to hell. And he has a temporary amount of time before he goes to hell to do his work. And what is his work? He has two missions. Number one, if, you're, if you don't know the Lord is your Savior, a demon's work is to take your soul to hell. And number two, if you are a believer in the Lord and you have the Lord as your Savior, he wants to stop the influence of your testimony as a believer. And so this guy's busy with his territory. And this is many demons. His name is Legion because it's many. There's thousands of demons in this person's life. And I can tell you stories of people I've met that had demons in their life. And one thing characteristic about people who have demons in their life, they don't like to say the name Jesus. So I appreciate that song today about Jesus. That was very good. And they don't like to say that name because there's power in that name. And so, in verse 7, the demon not only says, what what have you had to do with me, but he says, I adjure Thee. I adjure. So, adjure is a word that has legal ideas to it. So, it means this demon is telling Jesus, you know, in my King James notes it said the word adjure is command. So, this demon is commanding Jesus, but he's not commanding the Messiah indeed of God. He's giving the idea of hey, you have authority over me. You're not supposed to be talking to me right now. That's a later issue. And I have a responsibility of being here because Jesus sent the demons to earth. And so I'm commanding you, hey, don't mess with me. Like the demon thinks he's going to be sent to hell. He's not living in hell. He's living on earth. And he's like doing all he can Not to get sent to hell. Hey, it's not my time. I'm commanding you. You're not supposed to do this to me right now. The demon is afraid for his life. And so Jesus is like, yeah, I know the rules. I know the deal. 
There's a day appointed coming. There's a day of visitation. There's a day of judgment. I got it. Jesus knows you. I know you're going to be spending all eternity in hell. So Jesus says, all right, all right, I got it. See, Jesus is going to work something. He says, number one, let me ask you something. What's that? What's your name? Jesus is wanting to know the name. Because there's, a, there's an authority. Jesus is demanding the demon to submit to him. Give me your name. And he said, Legion. It's kind of like a, a police officer pulling you over. He said, license and registration, please. Why? He has the authority to take that from you. Jesus, give me your name. That's an authority to get that information from him. He says, my name is Legion. And so verse 10, and he, the demon, so the, the changing of the voice says, Jesus, uh, the demon says, and he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. So he, verse 11, now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine. So you could see from the sea coming in, you see the tombs, and then on top of that is a, you know, the territory that's higher. And you could see the swine in the higher elevated territories there. So if you ever take a trip to Israel, maybe you go on the other side of the Galilee Sea and you can see that. And and so in verse uh, 11, a great herd of swine feeding and all the devils besought him. So now all the devils. Can you imagine all these demons just crying out? Please don't send us to hell. Please don't send us to hell. Please don't send us to hell. All these demons, thousands of demons, crying out before Jesus. Please don't send us to hell. That's what's going on here. In verse 12, And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. Jesus said, okay, I'll grant you your request. And so Jesus is using authority. Okay, I'll give you, I'll give you that. Verse four, 13, And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out of that man and entered into the swine. And the herd, and then, so then this 2,000 swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place. They were running down the mountainside into... So it says in verse 13, and ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. So some may think they ran off a cliff and jumped into the sea. You know, we've probably seen visions of that through uh, Hollywood and different things of that nature. But actually they ran down that hill. And they ran right into the water. As we say in South Philly, water. And... They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. Now, if I was a thinking demon, why do I want to go into a swine who I'm going to make go crazy and death is going to come to that swine? And why does a demon want to go live in a swine that's going to die? Well, listen carefully. There's a reason. 
And the demons don't care where they live at. They, number one, don't want to be sent to hell. So give me a body. I don't care what kind of body it is. It's the lowest form of life. Number two, if I'm in a body, then we're going to make those pigs go crazy and we're going to go jump in the lake. And those swine are going to be at the bottom of that lake, dead. And Jesus is thinking to himself, where would be a better place to have a bunch of demons at? And a dead pig at the bottom of the lake. That's where those demons need to live at. And a dead carcass in the bottom of the lake. That's where they need to be. Now, why do they want to live at the bottom of the lake in a dead carcass? Because these demons have a territory of where they've been sent to, to live. It's not like they're floating and driving and walking or going all over the world. Demons are all over the world. And these demons are supposed to live in the Gadarenes. So they'll be living at the bottom of the lake for who knows how long in those dead carcasses. Because that's their territory of where they live at. They can't be like going to their master, Satan, and say, hey, we need a new territory. And they don't want to be going to God and saying, hey, we need a new territory. God be like, okay, I'll send you to hell. They just got done talking to God and saying, don't send me to hell. And so they have a territory. They have a place where they live. They, they would rather live at the, in the swine at the bottom of the lake than be sent to hell. And so in verse 14, in the fed, and they that fed this. So now we have a new story here. We understand about the territory. And we know that the demons recognize Jesus as God. So, and they said in verse 6, verse 7, and said, what have I to do with thee? Notice the demons said, Jesus, thou son of the most high God. Nobody else in the area or in Israel is coming around saying, hey, this is Jesus, the son of the most high God. The Jews want to kill him. And the Romans are happily obliging to the Jews to kill him. But nobody's going around saying, this is the son of the most high God. But the demons knew. It was the Son of the Most High God. Why? Because they knew Jesus before the foundations of the earth was created. And they had a relationship with the Son of the Most High God. They know who he is. So based on their testimony, we can tell who he is. Some may say, how do you know this is Jesus? The demons know. That's one more testimony to tell us who Jesus really is. Say, the word of God tells me. How do you know the word of God tells me? It's written in the word of God. The demons knew. And so, verse verse 15, we have the characteristics of the world. We have the characteristics of the environment. Then we have the characteristics of these demons. Then we have the characteristics of of the world. And so quickly as we wrap this up, because I've already passed my time and everybody's wondering why I went past my time. Verse 16, 15, And they came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting clothed in his right mind. And so, so the world will come out. When somebody gets changed like that, and that's what happened to me. I got changed. 
Everybody's like, okay, you're changed. Okay, we'll see. We'll wait a while, maybe a year or two, see what your life is like. But the world is always afraid of change. And the world is uh, fearful. That's a natural characteristic of the world. And the world's inquisitive in verse 14. And they that fed the swine went in the city and country, and they went out to see what it was that was done. They're inquisitive, and the world is, dis- is disgusted with truth. Truth always offends. Don't ever forget that. We take a gospel mission, we have the truth, but we go to a place where that message of truth will offend. In verse 15, the world, they want to come to Jesus. The world wants to come to Jesus. They want to come and see him. Verse 15, they want to see Jesus. And they want to see his characteristics. And they want to see what Jesus did to this guy. He was sitting calmly. And he was clothed, not naked. I often share this passage with with teenagers that may not be dressed a lot. The scripture says when you're right in your mind, you'll be clothed. And then verse 6, he was clear and calm. See, this wasn't the world's ways. The world never gets anybody to be clear and calm. They just drug them up and be passive and maybe they'll die. So, I, I one time heard a story about this man who discovered how to save babies' lives. And so back in the early 1800s, this doctor who was understanding why babies were dying at birth. And so it was like, it was like three out of five babies died at birth before like the 1810. Having a baby meant there was a strong possibility the baby or the mother was going to die. We would never think that today. And so this doctor did an investigation of why that was happening, and he come to find, he watched, and all the medical students were coming from the laboratories where they would, you know, investigate bodies and chop up bodies and get germs on their hands, and then he would go from there and go to the next section of the quote area of, I'm not sure if they really called them hospitals, the area where they gave deliveries of birth, and they would walk from this one area of. T- of investigating dead bodies and learning, and then go to another area of delivering babies. And they would carry those germs on their hands, and they would go to these babies and deliver them, and they were bringing dead germs, bacteria, and viruses, and they would go to the birthing, and they would use their hands, never clean, never washed, because washing of hands was unheard of before 1810. People didn't have showers, didn't have bathrooms like we do today. We get cleaned up every day. And doctors wash after they meet everybody and after every kind of investigation with hot water and soap. Back then, that was like unheard of. So this guy figured it out, and he found out. And he went to the doctor's board, and he said, listen, I know how to save babies' lives. What? Wash your hands. They all looked at him and laughed at him and mocked him. you got to be out of your mind. And they rejected his... Ideas. It wasn't a theory, it was a fact. And so when he tried, so he went into private practice and he developed his ideas of always washing and he was delivering babies. Four out of five were surviving. 
And so he recorded it and he presented it to them and they mocked him and laughed him. And after this much mocking and laughing, he went crazy and they put him in a psych ward. And they locked him up and he died there. A young man died. I think he was like in his early 40s. That's what the world does. The world hates change. The world mocks truth. The world never wants to receive the truth. They'll do anything besides take truth. Here's this perfect example. The guy couldn't believe that they wouldn't take his truth. He ended up dying. Then they realized, like a decade later, oh, let's put to practice what he said. Let's try it out. They found out, oh, yeah, he was right. The world's slow to receive truth. The world is afraid. These people came out in verse 16, and they saw, told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray and to depart. Hey, get out of here! In verse 18, And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with them. And so the world says, get out of here! But the person that was saved says, can I stay with you? And Jesus, notice the word, verse 19. How be it? Jesus. See, there's the name. There's the power. Jesus is Yeshua. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Joshua. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is deity. Jesus is King of Israel. He's the sent one from God, anointed of God. That's what the word Jesus means. Jesus said, no, you can't come with me. But go home to thy friends. And tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. This guy's like, well, what if the demons come back and get me? What if my town hates me? Don't worry, they will. The demons have no power over you. And so he went back and he's like, okay, I got to tell everyone. He prepared the way because Jesus came back again in Mark 7. And many... Received the Lord as their Savior. But they needed to see this witness. If the Jews saw this great miracle, they would have put him on the cross. They would never believe it. The Gentiles see this miracle. They're like, hey, this guy's unbelievable. We need him. So Jesus couldn't just go. They would capture him, put him on a throne and say, you are a man. We're going to listen to you. And... uh, But Jesus had a mission, go to the Jews first. And, of course, die at the cross. And that mission was never going to be fulfilled if he was just going to the Gentiles. Because the Gentiles were quick to understand. The Greeks were always quick at knowledge. The Jews needed to see a sign, but the Gentiles would believe. So how about you today? As we close in prayer, first of all, you have a responsibility of taking the gospel out to the world. And you can publish it. You can get involved. You need to go home, strategize, think of some strategies. How?
can I be involved in worldwide missions? God's given you a gift. Take that gift and use it. You're going to be held accountable for that gift. Some have money. That's a great gift because most of the world doesn't have money. It's not like everybody's got plenty of money. We live in an environment in Western Hemisphere, the United States, where God has blessed us with wealth. We need to take that gift that God has given us and give it to the gospel. Because you will not only receive great dividends back, spiritually and physically, but we need to be responsible with the gifts that God has given us. And then maybe you don't even know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior. Can I encourage you today to say, stop. I want to settle this thing in my life of making sure the Lord is my personal Lord and Savior. So I'm going to close in prayer, and I'd like to encourage you to call out today and invite Him to be your personal Lord and Savior if you have never done that in your life. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around at all. Would you call out to the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life to be my personal Lord and Savior. I'd like to settle that once and for all by faith. And I believe you died on the cross for my sin and rose again from the grave, proving you are God. And Lord, come into my life and save me now. Let the grace of God come into my life. Would you ask him that in your own words, quietly in prayer? Before God. And if you're telling that to the Lord in your own words quietly, the Lord's hearing your heart. And I'm not going to ask you to do anything. All I'm asking you going to do is ask, could I pray for you and could I rejoice with you? And if you're saying, I like to ask the Lord to be my personal Savior. I did that with you, Tony. I prayed that prayer with you and I'm settling that in my life. I'd like to ask if you would just slip your hand up high as a testimony of praise to the Lord, and then put it right back down. You're saying, yeah, I said that prayer. I called out to the Lord. I asked him. Slip it up. Put it right back down. Amen. Praise the Lord. Somebody else, quickly, just slip it up that I can rejoice with you. Amen. 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 Father, hear every heart, every prayer, and settle every decision in their hearts between you and God. And seal it with your power of your Holy Spirit, which will never fail us. And Lord, may we be a church that has a vision of missions and to give the gospel to a hurting world. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. But if uh, the Lord has spoken to your heart today and you want to 